Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Yeah, I remember being your little girl, right? I felt like I was your world and you were my world. You had a new marriage, more kids, and that life. And then I was being difficult. I remember that we wouldn't hug or say goodnight and stuff like that. There is also a background to that. There is a stigma to fathers raising daughters. Kia ora, we're your hosts, Julie and Sarade. We travelled around Aotearoa with our soundie Joey meeting immigrant Fano, listening to stories and discovering what is said or not said between different generations. These stories warmed our hearts and broke our hearts. And over this series, we invite you two to listen in on conversations with my immigrant parents. This episode of the podcast features Donnelly and Alfredo Bernal. Alfredo lives in Kirikiriroa and is originally from the Philippines. He was 29 when he came to Aotearoa in 1995. Back home, he was a GP, but he realised when he got here that he would need to spend years retraining to be able to practice as a doctor here. And, as is the case for many new migrants, he couldn't afford to do so. Shortly after arriving, Alfredo met Donna Lee's mum, who was also from the Philippines and who had a daughter from a previous relationship when they met. Alfredo and Donna Lee's mum were married, but they separated when Donna Lee was 18 months old. My dad's name is Alfredo. He is from Cagayan de Oro in the Philippines. He is a very reserved man on the outside, but on the inside, he's extremely loving and caring. I am very close to my dad, and I can talk to him about anything, and he's always been there for everything. I'm grateful that he's that person in my life. My daughter's name is Donnelly Bernal. She grew up in New Zealand. She is kind and very determined person. I believe Donnelly has gone through a lot and she's still here and she's still fighting. When I first came here, um, I stayed with your auntie and they picked me up from Auckland Airport. And my first impression when the plane landed was it's very quiet. I've always been wondering, where are the people? So driving down to Hamilton, again, I cannot see houses, I cannot see people. In your Tita's house, where I stayed for a few months, I can almost hear my own breathing. It's just so, so quiet at nighttime. Very dark and quiet. So coming from the Philippines, which is um, populated, It's quite a stark contrast. So what was it like for you coming here and not continuing your profession of being a GP? It was challenging at first, but I don't cry over spilled milk. 
So I moved on to plan B straight away. I was also involved in teaching back in the Philippines in a way. So the next thing I did was teach. Oh, this was after all those health care or caregiving jobs that I was doing part-time. I joined a training company in Huntley. I don't know, you would have remembered that. Was it the Modi one? Yes. Okay. So I was training people on computing. Yeah. And that was cool. I'm pretty sure you remember us traveling there every day mm-hmm. in that little green Toyota. Listening to Spice Girls? Yes. So it wasn't really difficult for me as such. There's always like at the back of my mind, what would it be like if I stayed there in the Philippines and carried on with my profession? But it is what it is. In this next bit, Alfredo speaks about his two marriages. He has teenage boys, Giovanni and Antonio, with his second wife, who he is no longer married to. My first marriage is shorter than my second, simply because I've always thought that marriage is a lifetime thing. You don't get unmarried. Again, that's in my head. I grew up in an environment where there's no such thing as divorce. You're married for life. So when I married your mom, I've always thought that I would be married for life. But unfortunately, it didn't work. Honestly, I cannot remember why. And in my second marriage, I tried harder. So that lasted longer. I guess I was a child, but um, I remember hearing theories from people in our family, like, you know, because they they talk about why you and my mum separated. But just as a child absorbing all these different theories from other people as opposed to from my parents themselves. Theories from people that... You know, just burnt out theories, left, right, well, and center. Well, they do tend to do that. <laughs> you need to think about the person's credibility when they talk about something. Yeah, I know. But when you're a child, you just, you know, you believe it until, you know, there's something else to believe. I'm actually thinking now that you're saying that because you're not really sure whether I forgot or I just didn't tell you. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I want to talk to your mum and ask her what went wrong. But you know what? <laughs> she's... I know that she's got her own view of what happened. Yeah. And it could be very, very different to my view of what happened. Yeah. But I think that is the fundamental of why a marriage would break because the communication has broken. So what her understanding of what happened and what my understanding of what happened would be very, very different. Yeah. But yeah, I feel like... Sitting down with her and asking her that question. I wonder if she'll answer. I think she will. Do you think? Yeah. Do you think she'll get flustered and um, not want to talk about it? I think she will answer in her own way and you know what that means. Not answering it. I don't know. I love my mom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really related to what Donnelly was saying about growing up hearing theories about why her parents split up. And I feel like I grew up with a lot of family members talking bad about other family members. And I think as a child, that's really hard to process. And you don't 
obviously want to take anyone's side, but you're kind of blasted with these opinions. And I just really related to the like the trauma of growing up with different people saying bad stuff about your parents. Mm, and definitely hard to not take an adult's opinions as mm. like law when you're a child, eh? And you're trying to protect these different family members, so you oh. don't want to tell someone that someone's been saying this about them more. Yeah, that's stressful. So when Donnelly's mum and dad separated, Alfredo got sole custody of Donnelly. And obviously this is quite unusual. Kids largely end up with their mums when their parents separate still, for whatever reason. I think that societal norms probably has a bit to do with it. Obviously, of course, there are lots of fathers who, unlike Alfredo, are not willing to step into a larger parenting role. I think courts probably often side with mums quite a bit of the time. I guess that wage equity has quite a bit to do with how this shakes out too. Yeah, totally. In this next section, Alfredo and Donnelly reflect on what their early years together were like. I mean, I can imagine how hard it was for you because of all, you know, the court battles and stuff. But I actually reflect on my early childhood years before going to school as very positive. Even though I do remember having separation anxiety like screaming and trying to climb the fence at Candy. When when you were there, it was, such, it was all resolved and you picked me up again. I don't know if it's me or you, but you've always been clingy. I mean, you were very happy when we were together. Uh, even when you were a child, I can remember when you were still with your mum and then I picked you up for a weekend. And every time I drop you off, you would be crying and crying and crying. So what I would do is I'll drive around Collins Road, Temple View, until you fall asleep and then lift up the whole car seat and put you in your mom's lounge so that you were asleep when when I left. And then when you went to school, of course, there's that problem of you climbing over the fence because you don't want dad leaving but I think it went better yeah it became better later on maybe if you were more detached as a parent then I'd be more independent yeah as a parent you always think that because there's no parent child manual you don't come to this world with a manual so you sort of wing it and there are always times when I think, oh, what could have I done better? But most of the things are retrospective in a way, so I can't do anything about that anymore. But I've always believed that as you grow into an adult that you can recognise too that when you are raising your own kids, the things that you don't like about your parents are the things that you won't do, something like that. Mm -hmm. I can remember, for example... My dad didn't want to buy any appliances. Didn't want to or he couldn't afford it? I don't think he wanted to. It was not him. It's the way you have all these gadgets. Yeah, so I've got all my gadgets. (laughs) And the other thing too is um, my, my dad was very, very strict. Like hugging is not a thing. We don't hug. I don't remember my parents kissing me or whatever. But you talked about your dad holding you when you were small, so obviously you remember that. What age does that stop? 
when he can no longer hold me because I'm too heavy. Right. Okay. And then after that, no yeah. hugging. Yeah, there's no no hugging. You don't greet people by hugging them and all that. Of course, that's changed now. Well, I'm in New Zealand. The other thing too that I really, really struggle with is because I'm male. I believe that my siblings think that you know I should just get on with it. I think I mentioned this to your cousin that no one even asked me how am I am I doing okay especially on the challenging dates and I just make that theory that because they think that I'm male I'll just get on with it I would like more from my family especially from my mum because she's gone through grieving process several times i would want more but i mean i don't know what they're thinking but i'm just presuming that that's what it is because i'm male i should just get on with it but in my own need what i've done is i've availed of all the available resources either online or whatever resources i've got at work that i can tap into just to help me through that process because i'm closer to my nieces and nephews when it comes to things like that for example i need support i feel like i can go to my nephews and nieces more than my sisters maybe because i'm the youngest so you're cool like i would like to think that i'm the cool uncle but also um i can get support from them in that regard and I've been trying to find somebody who will be the key person in your generation to make sure that every one of you is okay that there's always going to be somebody who would ask somebody are you okay because I'm not going to be here in the future your aunties will not going to be here in the future so there's only going to be you guys and I want that network to be established that support to be already established so I'm pushing for the key people to play an active role in terms of making sure that everyone in the family is safe and okay. I've tapped shoulders already. To be the warriors to carry the torch. Yes. <laughs> when I think about your generation, I think of like uh, people that can't really talk about anything too difficult or taboo so I think of you know the judgmental side you're saying that you're closer to my generation my cousins when it comes to those things so maybe it's because we can't have those conversations well it's normal for us because I see like the older generation as being a bit standoffish because you know my teenage years difficult uh, times during that I remember at the time you didn't really know what to do and the older people were like had the same sort of idea well depression doesn't exist in the philippines you know because everyone's <laughs> trying to survive trying to get food water shelter whatever so i think you're at a loss because everyone there is um well the norm is to be catholic in the philippines so i remember a comment 
that someone gave to you about me, and they said, well, why didn't you send her to church? You should have sent her to church so that she wouldn't be, <laughs> you know, depressed and suicidal or whatever. As if it was your fault and you'd done something wrong by not raising me the way that all the other Filipinos are raised. It's really hard hearing that someone might be struggling and they just might not have the space to be able to talk to someone about it. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's probably right, you know, that men really struggle to find, probably especially male friends, to have conversations with about, like, times that they feel really vulnerable and times that they feel really scared. And I think I'm always trying to be aware of the fact that men's mental health is a really big problem. And I think that I have a bit of a knee-jerk reaction to that being brought up because so often it gets brought up in order to silence women mm -hmm. who are trying to talk about things that they're going through, but it does stand alone and it doesn't only need to be brought up to oppose women. It's not a binary where just because we are acknowledging how men are affected by the patriarchy it doesn't affect how much women are also affected and Suffering. people of all genders. There's also a total intersection of things in this section because Alfredo's talking about people don't ask him how he is because he's a man. And then Donnelly and Alfredo also explore that in the Philippines, a lot of people don't have the privilege of being able to deal with their mental health because mm -hmm. there's... Survival. To, ..to think about. And then if the church is a really big presence in your life, that can be a fallback for coping with really difficult life events instead of therapy and instead of sort of changing the ways that we talk to each other. I think it's OK for us to acknowledge that nuance and I think what you are saying about finding it difficult to be able to acknowledge how men are affected in different ways, yeah, I can totally see how that's really difficult from, like, a feminist perspective and... Not even that it's difficult, just that there's so many instances of it being brought up in such a toxic way. Yeah. Like, you know, when, when you try and talk about racism and white people bring up but the, the Irish. Irish. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, Ireland has suffered for many years and they were colonised, but when it's brought up to shut up a person of colour, you obviously don't want to give it the space. You can't, like, hold those two things in the same breath. With gender in particular, it manifest differently in that as a result of patriarchal norms like this is how men are affected in a different way yes. to how yes. women and other genders but are affected. But patriarchy hurts everyone and that's the point. Right? Toxic masculinity is bad for every single gender and that is the point. Yeah. Donnelly moved in with her mum when she was 15 after having lived with her dad her whole life. She moved because she found her dad to be too strict. Her mental health had declined and she thought a change might help. Yeah, I remember being your little girl, right? And I felt like I was your world and you were my world. And then we had a new marriage, more kids and that life. And then that ended and then different dynamics. And then me going through high school, not enjoying it for different reasons. And then I 
was being difficult. I remember that we wouldn't hug or say goodnight and stuff like that, but then after I went to counselling, I think that was one of the things that we said we had to do. We had to hug each other before we go to bed and say goodnight. I don't know why I thought of that, <laughs> but I think it was like a moment where we're trying to uh, make our relationship better, make our communication better. I do agree with that. With the new family, two more new kids. And I also remember that I was traveling a lot at some point in time, so I wasn't home. I, I believe that we could have been closer at that time, but there has been some circumstances, life circumstances that just prevented that from happening. There is also a background to that. I remember there's a stigma to fathers raising daughters. I can remember when I first got you, we had to sleep in a sofa, both of us. Back then, I was going through counseling and stuff, and even the counselor said to me that you need to put your daughter in another room. And she said that in a way that it made me feel guilty. And I really, really, in my head, I got so angry, but I just contained my anger. When you went through depression, one thing that they were also exploring is whether you've been abused as a child. And that also really, really got me angry. I, I feel like if that was happening in your society, you shouldn't be judging me and using that, again, the box that you think that there's a father, there's a daughter, something's likely to happen. And I got so angry with that, even the suggestion of it. I might even want to hug you, but I don't want to hug you because I feel like I'm being judged going through play group, for example, mother's group and all that, and then they're thinking, why is there a man here? It's like, why is it that you're the one looking after your daughter? It's like, why not? It's, it's, uh, I don't know. I get angry thinking about it. Yeah, I get sad thinking about it because I feel so grateful to have the dad. Not everyone does. It's kind of normal <laughs> for some people, you, you know, like yeah. the dad's not in the picture. Well, uh, actually, it's not even just women thinking that because there's also men who've made comments to me that said, "Why are you looking after your child? You should let the mother look after the child." I'm saying, <laughs> yeah. I don't think so, mate. Yeah, <laughs> it just seems like because it, it rarely exists in their world that it just can't possibly exist for us, you know? I mean, I would be so curious to meet another person who was raised by their dad, you know, and not feel so weird for it. Yeah, I felt that when I was in school, because people would be talking, saying, my mum, my mum, my mum, but for me it was my dad, and they'd be like, oh, where's your mum? What happened to your mum? Do you miss your mum? <laughs> but it's like, you don't know, my dad is my mum. <laughs> and then being pregnant with Vas and people just assuming that I wanted my mother. It's like, no, <laughs> you really don't understand. I remember telling midwives and counsellors and stuff that if my dad is not going to be at my birth, then I might as well go walk into the forest and have my baby by myself. That's what it would feel like if my dad wasn't there. Yeah, 
You should just have said, my dad is quite capable of delivering babies. Thank you very much. <laughs> He's delivered so many babies. When Donnelly was 16, she fell pregnant with her son, Vasily. Donnelly was raised in a Catholic household, and here she explains what telling her family was like. I remember my cousin. Yes. You know, I told her first because she had a baby young, not as young as me, but young. I told her that I was planning to abort, and she wanted me to tell you so that you could convince me to not do that because our family's quite pro-life. But <laughs> it didn't go how she thought it would go, and I'm not sure how I thought it would go, but it was quite brutal. It was really quite brutal. I'm wondering what your anger was about, because in my mind, I feel like, because I didn't talk to my mother for a while, I feel like her anger was from her pride of looking bad because I was supposed to be living with her. We were supposed to go on a holiday together. I was supposed to do the pageant. You know, she's got a lot of friends, a lot of Filipino friends. And so I felt like, judging by some of the things that she said, it would have made her look bad because I happened to have gotten pregnant when I was supposed to be living with her. But what do you think your anger was about? I don't even remember being angry. Oh, really? (laughs) Really now? Okay. All I remember... Okay. (laughs) All I remember is honestly. Yeah? Honestly. I don't remember being angry. All I remember... (laughs) All I remember at that time is that I rang your mum. Yeah. Got her over. Yeah, you were angry. You rang my mum. She came over so she could be angry too. I just remember having... So many brutal things said about me that were true or not true in so many different ways. And it just went on and on and on. It's like, I just don't want to think of a different way to say this. (laughs) I mean, that was hard. That night was really hard. But after that, you just switched and you're like, all the things that I expected that I get kicked out didn't happen. You just accepted me and said that I could still live here and that you wanted me to make a decision and and own my decision and make the right decision, you were still there for me the whole way. Hmm. I've got selective memory loss. Right. Or things that <laughs> I don't <laughs> want to remember. <laughs> oh, uh, I mean, I can vividly remember that I was in this lounge, your cousin was here. Maybe I was angry, but... I like I don't remember the feeling and I don't remember all I remembered was that I said um we'll bring your mum over so you we, your mum needs to know as well. And then all I remembered from that of course is the drama that came after because the two camps that happened and one was pro and the others anti. And then my mother instinct kicked in where I had to make sure that you are safe, make sure that you are supported through the process, make sure that you get all the resources required for whatever. The only thing that I was not supporting you was that I didn't want to go to the antenna classes. Yeah. So all those things I remember. I guess I started feeling like a, a parent when it was real, you know, like I had my, I had Vas and 
I was, you know, waking up to feed him and then you'd go to work and I'd be at home by myself and just me and him, I'm responsible for him, you know, he's my child. Yeah, I felt like I was more on your page. Understood how it's not so easy now sometimes. We don't make the best decisions or maybe we just make the best with what we can do in that moment as a parent. So I think I just became more understanding and more forgiving when I had my own child. I guess maybe as a parent you could start taking me more seriously when my child was actually here. I think a lot of people who aren't parents like to think that they know that you should do this to be a good parent or you should do that, but they haven't actually been in the arena themselves. You had passed, but I was always there. I was always telling you what to do. Even your brothers keep telling me, I keep telling them what to do. I'm a parent, so that's what we do. It didn't make me feel good. When I really needed having you take over was such a relief because I trust you so much. I found that even when I wasn't here, like I wasn't around you in your house, if I was at my mom's where I was living, I would hear your voice in those hard moments, your voice in my head. It kind of like criticisms towards myself that I wasn't good enough as a mother. I wasn't getting the result that that I felt like you would get or that you think I should have. I wonder that now because like when I had you, I didn't have my parents telling me what to do, of course. Obviously, I grew up in a very, very different environment. I never had that question in my mind as to... How am I going to raise a child, for example? It's like, just like in my nature that I know how to raise a child and I know what the challenges are in terms of mothers, for example, lack of sleep or with the baby just carries on crying and crying and crying and all that. I'm quite confident that I can handle that situation. One of the things that I feel guilty for when I reflect on my four years and three months of being Glass's mother while he was out in this world. I know that you're just doing what you did and that you mean well. Like throughout my whole life, because you've been such a strong influence on me, that I just really took on board everything that you said. I think in some ways I was too hard on myself and too hard on Bas. I would parent from a place of insecurity rather than love and really take it out on him and be like, you know, when he misbehaves, it made me feel like like he was just being a child, (laughs) but it made me feel like it's just really reflecting on me as not being good enough as a mother. I just remember hearing things in my head that I didn't need to recycle in my mind, but I had from, I guess... (laughs) You are influenced because you're confident. I feel like it's really hard to listen to Donna Lee be so hard on herself as a mother, raising a child when she was still so young herself. Yeah, totally. So as Donna Lee touched on, Vasily passed away very suddenly at age four. He 
He had asthma and one morning he experienced some severe complications relating to his asthma. I remember that morning. I got up early to bake cheese bread because Vas asked for it. That's what he wanted for breakfast. But he never ate any because he was so sick. That's when then I rang you and asked you to take him to the doctor so he gets additional medication. And because I was so tired, by the time you left, I went to bed. I sleep and then your mum rang. She didn't say what, what. She just said, you need to come now. So I got myself organised and as I drove into mum's place, the ambulance was just driving up and they were telling me to go to the hospital. Your brothers and I went there. They showed us in and I was observing the activities that the doctors and the resuscitation team were doing. And I can remember exactly what was in my head because I was doing my own assessment, looking at the instruments and stuff. And I vividly remember telling you that at some point they're going to stop doing what they were doing. Because I knew them trying every avenue that they can bring him back. Going through all of those and considering the amount of time that has lapsed already. So I went into that mode of, not that grandfather mode, but the mode of logical thing, next thing they're going to do, they're going to stop. That was interesting because the police were called and they were retracing everything that happened prior to that event when you have an investigation being done. It's like, you people don't know. We love this child so much. You just don't know. They're just going through the motions of asking the questions. But they don't know. You just don't know how much we love this child. There was this thing that you had said, or you'd occasionally say, when Vas was still here. I remember you talked about how hard it would be to lose your child. You had all your kids at the time. I had my one child still here, so it was just a concept that if it was your only child, imagine losing your only child, that would be so hard. And... I remember hearing this more than once. But then it actually happened. <laughs> yeah, I remember that I'm very like open to conversation. Yeah, yeah. I remember talking about death, for example. Mm-hmm. I've always said that, you know, we're all here temporarily. We will all die. It's just a matter of time. Of course, I say that like as a matter of fact, but you don't really think that it will happen to you. No. And then it happened. Yeah, I mean, we do talk about anything, so... I swing between the, this is the logical thing, it happens. And all that. Of course, on the other hand, I'm also like crawling in pain. Yeah. And I said to you about um, 
be careful with the conversations you have in your head. Make sure that the things you talk to yourself about you know, gear that to the right direction. And I also do that to myself too because sometimes when it gets too painful and I'm thinking about things that what ifs and what ifs and I just say to myself, cut it, mate. What ifs won't help. I actually remember um, on that Sunday afternoon sitting, maybe it was midday, who knows, sitting in the spot where I'm sitting right now on the couch and kind of looking over at the bookshelf just like I'm doing right now and thinking, my life is never going to be the same. And just having no image of my life, like, as you go about your life, you have your story, which is your past behind you, and you have somewhat of an idea of the future and the present that you're currently in, but it just felt like the story that I, I held so dearly because I was proud of um, what I'd gone through. Even with us, it wasn't just like I instantly had it sorted straight away, like my life purpose, and it was a rocky road when he was a baby. But um, I got there as he got a bit older. But it was like when I was sitting here on that Sunday, like my whole future had just been wiped out. It was blank. And I just had no idea what what the next day would bring or the next day would bring. <laughs> I guess no, no desire to fill it with anything anyway. Because, it might, yeah, my world just fell apart. And I think um, if it wasn't for you know people in my family, including you, of course, just reaching out and uh, reminding me that they're there and insisting that they um want to be there for me and that I should stay and that life is still good. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't. I, I really don't think I could have done it. I have just realised one thing that I need to talk to your brothers about. I need to talk to them about that day because my reaction when Vas died was that I need to protect you. I sent your brothers to school the next day. Wow. Because I need to be available. If I needed to be in your, by your side, I need to be there. And then I'm looking back, of course, like I said, I mean, there's no manual for all this. Looking back, I questioned that decision. I cannot change it anymore. But I need to talk to your brothers about it. See, in my culture, they wouldn't have gone to school. They would have stayed with me, close to me. But then, of course, I'm in a society where I don't really know what the norm is. So I sent them to school. And at the same time, I just want to know that you're going to be safe. I cannot even start grieving. You haven't seen me cry. Because I just cannot go into that mode. I was in the mode of, I need to protect you. Yeah. I noticed... Well, similar to you, because my sister, her being my big sister, and maybe because she's a cop too, so 
she kind of went in in a get things done mode. Well, she did cry, of course, but she went into a get things done mode. I think she called up Vasa's swimming lessons. The ones that she paid for and told them, you know, sorry, Vas won't be coming to swimming lessons next week because he's dead. Or calling up Kendi and saying, sorry, Vas won't be coming to Kendi tomorrow because he's dead. But also our social construct too that says that men should act this way. Or you women can go start your crying over there and we <laughs> will make sure that things get done. No one's prepared. No one ever thought that that would happen. Although I know that life's temporary, but, you know, yeah, you never think of that until it happens to you. I mean, yeah, the very thing that we need to keep in mind is that because it's very temporary, we need to live our life to the fullest. Mm. And I think even though you say that, life is temporary, we automatically assume that, like as a parent, you you won't outlive your child, you know. Yes. Yeah, you'll go first, of course. So that's what I've been asking. I'm yeah. asking you and your brothers, let me go first, okay? <laughs> you, none of you are allowed to go before. Yeah. not a parent but like I can imagine that losing your child would be your biggest fear. Totally. And to lose your son so young you know would be the worst thing. Especially when you already have so many insecurities as a young parent about doing the wrong thing. It's horrible that as a society our institutions make these assumptions about immigrant communities, brown communities in a way that like middle class Pakia mm. or wealthy families just don't have to deal with. You definitely feel like if the Bernals were an upper middle class white family, they would not have been interrogated by the police in the way they were. We're so grateful to the Bernals for opening up on the podcast about Vas and about losing Vas. He's so loved and he's still so much a part of their family as he always will be. It's been three years since Vas passed and life now is quite different for Donnelly. She recently got married and is now living with her husband in Tauranga. I took a pregnancy test on Mother's Day and this was during COVID. Mother's Day isn't as bad as Vas's birthday or Christmas or his death date. But um, Mother's Day, you know, is still another reminder of the life we used to live and what we used to have that now we only have in our hearts. Yeah, I took it, had two lines on it, <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> I guess it was something something little to smile about, but I don't know, because I'm so familiar with loss, I didn't, I didn't want to jump up and down and tell the whole world. I wanted to wait it out and feel more secure. How do you feel about me being pregnant? Having a boy? I'm cautiously happy. Yeah. Ashina, you're going to be in Tauranga and I'm going to be here, which is a good thing and a bad thing. 
good thing because your husband can now stand up and uh, look after you. Bad thing is because I'm too far away. If you need me, I'm one and a half hour away. But I'm pretty sure you're going to be in good hands over there. But you can always text me if you want me over there anyway. Mm. And um, I'm hoping that you're going to look at this as a, a new start. This baby's not going to be a replacement of us. This is a different baby with his own different himself. Yeah. You just have to um, apply what your learnings from your first parenting episode to this one and make it for the better. Yeah. And I'm hoping that this is... I mean, I didn't really mind whether it's a boy or a girl, just like I've always seen even with Vaz. As long as that child is healthy. Yeah. This was something I thought when um when I had Vas, when Vas was still alive, the thought of having another child seemed like, how could I love my next child more than I love Vas? Because obviously, like, Vas was my first child. And all that love that you feel when you hold your baby in your arms and they're just everything to you, that you, they change your life. And so, yeah, when Vas was still here, the, the thought of that... <laughs> just made me, I just couldn't understand it, but I brought this up with you and you've got more than one kid, so you love your other children. <laughs> yeah, you love them as much, I'm guessing. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the correct answer to that is yes, of course. Um, you love your kids equally. Yeah, so I think I feel even more like I'm stepping into the unknown with having lost Vas and so that feeling of, I don't know how I will feel when I have my baby, you know? It's kind of scary and I... I know how you'll feel. You sure? Yes. When you hold the baby for the first time, that feeling. Okay. I mean, uh, I remembered when Bas was born, right, and I held him and um, the midwife asked me to check him. I did and... Like, I've already, like, felt that I need to protect him. I remember I had to argue with them because they had to do another blood test third time. And I was saying that you better do this right because this is going to be the last blood test you're going to do. If you're going to get this right, because I don't want him, them to be poking him. So it's still going to be that feeling when you hold your child, that feeling of, yes... They will bring their own personality when they grow up. They will be very different, just like you and your siblings are different. What does home mean to you, Papa? Home to me is where my family is. And who do you consider that to be? You and your brothers and your kids. Because um, I'm living in Tauranga right now and I will be, indefinitely. Does that mean you're not at home when I'm not here or does it still count because we're in the same country? I know that when you need something, you will still come home to me. Yeah. And does it become home when we're all together? We're going to be technical now. It, it's not something that you can really say, okay, that's home for me or this is home for me. It's like you feel it. Yeah. 
home used to be in the Philippines and now home now is New Zealand. I mean, I cannot imagine being in the Philippines and call that home. Although I can be in the Philippines and feel at home. So I'm kind of surprised that you say that you can still feel at home in the Philippines. So what makes you feel at home in the Philippines? Just because I'll um, blend in. Oh, yeah? Yeah, <laughs> you blend in there too. People start talking to you in Filipino just because they think you are. Yeah. I also have memories there too when I'm when I meet with your Tito, for example. I can still see that mango tree in the backyard. The other trees are gone. I can still see the same street and all that, you know. Can see some old frames. So I can still feel at home there if I want to, although it's not home, home, of course. I would still want to come back to New Zealand. Yep. Well, I do really get a sense of home being around not only you and my brothers, but the extended family, the cousins. Like if all the cousins are there, my sister and my husband. and Yeah, I really like the holiday season, December, January, because we get a lot of that. And that's like my happiest time of year. I think I used to be more Hamilton bound because I I thought that I had to be around my family. My heart is still here, so I feel like when I leave, I my heartstrings are being pulled a bit. Yeah, I think my home moves now. didn't end up in our final cut of this podcast but Donnelly did say during the record that she doesn't really know other mums who have been in the same position as her so we really hope that Donnelly and Alfredo sharing their story in this episode might bring some comfort to other parents who have experienced or who are experiencing anything similar or that it just might make some parents feel less alone Again, our deepest love to Donnelly and Alfredo for sharing so much of your time and your life with us, for letting us ask you so many questions, for showing us so many beautiful photos of Vasily. He mihi aroha ki te You can check out photos and videos of all our families on Facebook at Where Are You From Really, Instagram at Combos With My, and on RNZ's website. Conversations with My Immigrant Parents was created, produced and directed by Julie Zhu and Saray De Silva. Location recording by Joey Siasoko. Studio recording by Jill Eva Craig at The Secret Beehive. And sound edited and mixed by Emmy Pagoni. Our cover image is illustrated by Nga Mutani Jones at Miss Memo and designed by Sonia Milford. A huge thanks also to Kay Elmers and Tim Burnell from RNZ Commissioning. Conversations with My Immigrant Parents was made possible by the RNZ NZ On Air Innovation Fund. He Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. 
To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.